Good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. Um, we are, this is the, we've got two more lessons left in uh, John. So uh, we have today, we're going to cover, we're in chapter 21, it's the last chapter of John. We're going to cover the first 14 verses. And then Lord willing, we'll finish up next week. Um, Matthew, Pastor Matthew and I have uh, looked at several uh, video series from uh, Ligonier that we will most likely pick one of those to do next. Remember we've done those before. We did one from, we've done a couple I think, uh, where we have, uh, it's about a 25 minute video. We have some discussion questions if y'all remember. A little different format. Again, gives y'all a, a break from having to listen to me and uh, and it's uh, it'll be good and uh, we'll, we'll let you know what we decide. And then after that, it actually, uh, Matthew may even do a short uh, series uh, in Sunday school, Pastor Matthew. So, anyway, that's that's kind of what's going on, and uh, here we are. Uh, let's let's get started here in uh, in twenty one. So again, uh, today we're going to cover uh, John twenty one and the first fourteen verses. <clears throat> After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come now, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in with the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. And Father, we ask that you be our teacher. Father, guide us in all truth. And uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift that we have. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are some scholars who are critical um, of this section. They, they believe that John chapter 21 should not be in the canon of Scripture. Uh, they ask the question like this. Uh, why would John go to all the trouble to add this lengthy account of this encounter when the climax of the book has already taken place. We had reached it, remember we mentioned that last week in chapter 20, right? The last verses of, of chapter 20 are the, the climax really of the book. And so why would John add this? 
here at the end. Well, um, when you think about it, and you think about the narrative of, of this book, there's, there's some unanswered questions, right? Uh, and the one, the biggest one, if you had to think about it, and I know it's hard for us because we, we've studied this, we know it, but if you, if you were to put yourself in the narrative, right? If you were learning all this for the first time, Anybody think of a, a big unanswered question? Right? Who's, who's the subject of a lot of this chapter? Right? Not the subject. Jesus is the subject, right? But who, who's, the main, who, who's the main player here? Right? It's Peter. It's Simon Peter, right? It's Simon Peter. And so the, we know what happened, right? As, as Peter uh, denied Jesus. And so it's, it's at this point, John really hasn't addressed the relationship between Jesus and Peter. And so there's kind of a loose end hanging out there. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? We, uh, obviously, we, we know that. We accept we know that for sure. He needs to tie up this loose end. He wants to bring some closure to what happened between Christ and, and Peter. And so we have this, this uh, chapter 21. What do we know about, of course, about Peter? We know uh, that he rushed to the tomb, right? After uh, Mary had brought the word about Jesus' body being gone. Uh, we know he was present in the upper room when Jesus appeared there twice. So we know Peter has seen the risen Christ, but what about the relationship, right? That's looming. That's a looming question out there. What about the relationship, on the night, we know on the night that Jesus, that Jesus was betrayed, after, right after Peter had done exactly what Jesus said he was going to do, he denied him three times. And you remember, we, we, we brought in the verse from Luke. You remember, after that third denial, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Remember that, right? And Darcy said about that, he said, I cannot imagine any deeper level of shame a human being could experience than that which Peter must have felt when he saw Christ looking at him. And so Dr. Sproul added, he said, I think John understands this. And he's decided, obviously, again, not uh, taking any, anything away from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he's also the author, right? John wrote it. He decided not to leave us hanging and tells us about the restoration of Peter. So here, let's start, let's look at these verses. Verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. So here John tells us he is, he is reporting a showing, a, a visible manifestation of Jesus in his resurrected state. Notice, first of all, of course, this event did not happen in Jerusalem where the first two appearances had happened. But now we're in Galilee, and actually we're on the shores of the Sea of Tiberias, which is also called the Sea of Galilee. That's the most common way. It's the same place, okay? Uh, I think John is the only one who mentions or calls it or refers to it as the Sea of Tiberias, but it's the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place. We know why, So why are they in Galilee? Why are they there? Well, we know from Matthew 28, uh, 10, that Jesus had sent word uh, by the women who had first met him at the tomb that the disciples would see him again in Galilee. So he had told them, I would see you in Galilee. And so it's not strange that they are here in Galilee right now. 
And so John tells us uh, who some of them were. And we hear it in the second part, uh, so second half of verse 1 and verse 2. And he says, and in, this, and in this way he showed himself, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Now John mentions seven of the eleven here, okay, in his account. Uh, three he leaves unnamed, but we know who the sons of Zebedee are, right? James and John. So we know James and John are there. And notice as John lists the order, he lists uh, Simon Peter first. One thing, just as a kind of a way to help understand how John would have written, uh, he most likely included his name first to indicate he's kind of the leader of the group. Okay, so he lists his name first. That would be common what a, a, a writer of this time would do. When they list out a name, they're going to list the name of the leader first. So we see that Peter is, is, is the leader of this group here, most likely. And of course, we have uh, two other disciples. They are not named, so we're not exactly sure who, who John is talking about here. So verse 3, John tells us that Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. So they're waiting. They're in Galilee. They're waiting for Jesus to appear. When, you, when, you, when we read this verse, it's okay, I'm going fishing. Okay. That sounds pretty fun, right? It's like hey, a couple of guys getting together, sitting around. Hey, I'm going fishing. Let's go down the pond. Hey, I'm going with you too. A couple of guys. All I can think of is Matt Rambo, right? I wish he was here today because he loves to fish, right? He loves to fish. Hey, I'm going fishing. Let's go. You know, a couple of buddies jump in. Yeah, we're going with you. There's no need to assume just because Peter says, hey, we're going to go fishing. Because remember, that was his profession before, right? There's no need to assume that Peter has now abandoned his mission. Remember, they've been quasi-commissioned, right, as apostles to, to, to take the gospel, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. Jesus is still here. But it's no need to assume that he's abandoned that, okay? To, so he's not returning to his profession to, as a fisherman, okay? The most, uh, again, what we know about uh, in, in Matthew 28 is that they were here because they're obeying. The Lord said, I will see you in Galilee. They're here. That's why they're there. So... Um, we know that fishing was his business uh, before being called by Christ. And so right here, he's, he's just making good use of his time. He's being productive. Right? And it's kind of an aside. I thought about this morning as I was reading it to it, uh, reading through this or reviewing this this morning. They're here. They're waiting for the Lord. Right. But they're not sitting around twiddling their thumbs. OK, they're not sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They're being productive. They know how to fish. They're being, they're, they're being productive while they're waiting. And we could go down a rabbit trail. We're not. But there's, there's a, a, le- a small lesson for us there, right? A lot of times we find ourselves waiting on the Lord for something, right? We find ourselves waiting. Does that mean we sit around and idle and just sit in a room and twiddle our thumbs and do nothing? No, we're to be productive, right? We are to be productive. So Matt, Peter here, it's being uh, productive. He's making good use of... Uh, of his time. And so he says, they're, they're waiting, they're here, they're here, and, and uh, waiting for Christ. So he said, let's go fishing. And so the others say, yeah, we're going along too. We hop in the boat. Well, John tells us that uh, basically they fished all night and they caught nothing. I'm not a nighttime fisherman. Again, I wish Matthew was here. I know 
he and uh, I think Wes used to go fishing a lot at Monticello. They fish all night fishing for catfish. Um, that is not my thing. I'm not a nighttime person. Y'all know that. I'd be asleep in the boat somewhere. I would not be up fishing all night. Um, I'm a morning fisherman. But anyway, they fished all night, which is common. That's a common way to fish, right? They had caught absolutely nothing. Now this next, the next part, the next, the, the verses that, that John um, tells us about, this account, it sounds like an earlier encounter, doesn't it? It sounds like the encounter we find back in Luke 5. Now we didn't, obviously we're studying John, but over in Luke 5, which is earlier in the ministry, right? Luke tells us about a time that the same guys had gone fishing. One night they'd been out there, right, with no success. And we see Jesus basically tell them the same thing, right? Hey, cast your net on the other side. And we know what happened. Right? We remember what happened with uh, that. Uh, not they, they, they caught plenty more than the, their nets could even hold. And those, those two, if we think about the, the similarities, those are um, obviously similar, similar accounts, but there's several differences as well. In other words, these are not the same event. This is not John talking about something that happened earlier. These are two different events because uh, the only things that they had in common, both accounts, the only things they had in common were the disciples were there and the unproductive night of fishing and Jesus' help. Everything else is different about these two accounts, okay? So we can, we can be sure that it's two uh, separate events. So John continues here, verses uh, 4 through 6. He said, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. I'm raising my voice, right? Because they're about, it wasn't a whisper. They're about 100 yards from each other. Okay, the disciples are out about 100 yards in the water. So it wasn't a talking like me and you. It was a little more of a yell, right? You got to project your voice. Children, huh? do you have any food? They answered him, no. And so he said, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, John tells us that while Jesus was standing on the shore, they didn't know it was him. Now, okay, they're about 100 yards away because he tells us that later, right? He refers to 200 cubits. That's about 100 yards, okay? Okay, if, if Benny was standing 100 yards from here, I could probably tell it was Benny, right? Because I know how he's dressed. I could, I could probably tell it was him. We don't know, right? This is early in the morning, right? Could still be kind of dusk, right? Um, this also could be another uh, case or another instance where the Lord kept them from recognizing him. It could be that too, right? We're not sure, okay? We're not sure, and that's okay. It's, it's, uh, we don't have to, to know that uh, to understand what he's trying to tell us here. So they didn't recognize him, so we get that for whatever reason. And so he calls out to them. Remember, he kind of, he's kind of yelling. You got to project. You got to you know hear you about a hundred yards away. And of course, you're at the sea, so you got the noise of the water, maybe in the wind. So he yells out to them, and he addressed them first of all as children. Notice that he said, "Children, have you any food?" Now the word "children" is loosely translated as "fellows" or "lads" or "boys." Okay, 
And so he asked him, hey, hey boys, y'all got any food? You know? Now again, on this occasion, they didn't recognize him. They couldn't see, or he, for whatever reason, they didn't, by their eyes, they couldn't recognize him. And they also, at this point, did not recognize his voice. Because again, he's, he's probably projecting a little bit. He's ye- not yelling, but he's enough where you can hear him, right? So they answered no. No, that was it. That was a simple answer. And so he said what? Drop your nets on the other side of the boat. Again, put yourselves in the shoes of these boys who'd been, who profession, who were, have been, right? Professional fishermen, right? Um, it's very similar to the account that we talked about in Luke 5, right? Um, so they're, they're in the boat. They don't recognize this Jesus. So they don't know who this is on the shore telling them to do this. So you got to think, who, who is this guy? <laughs> who is this guy here on the shore trying to tell us, uh, give us some advice? We've been out here fishing all night, and we know what we're doing. We ain't caught anything. Um, but yet, right, even given that situation, they took his advice. I guess... I don't know, what do we got to lose, right? <laughs> so, it's like, hey, uh, let's try and see. Um, and so they did it. They cast that on the other side. And what does it say? They, they caught so many fish they couldn't even haul in the net. That's how many fish they caught. And it didn't break. You're getting ahead of me because I'm going to mention that later. So it didn't, it didn't break. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, and it didn't break. She's getting ahead of me here. Um, and you're right. It didn't break. So many fish... They couldn't even haul. They couldn't even bring it into the boat, right? Because this—it's not some big modern fishing boat, right? This is not a really big thing like we're used to. It's a smaller thing, and 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 he tells us later it's 150 something fish and 153, right? Couldn't even get it in the boat, and it didn't break. Is this well, not the same account? Maybe I'm thinking of a different fishing trip where they say, "Well, we've been out here all night and we hadn't caught anything." They kind of question them like, "What? Are you serious?" Yeah, that that was earlier. Yeah, it's just earlier. two two different accounts. Gotcha. Yeah, two different accounts. There's some differences in this one. So at this point, right, what happens? Basically, and what, well, who? John. A light bulb goes off in John's head, right? It's like, aha. What is, what is John right here in verse 7? Therefore, after they, they pulled out the college fish, they couldn't even rent. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loves, that's John, right? That's how he refers to himself. When he's writing the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John said to Peter, It is the Lord. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Winner. We have a winner. Absolutely right. It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. Now, before we get uh, the. the of course, we love Peter, right? We love Simon Peter. Just always the, let's go. Head, just forget everything else and let's go, right? But he, but notice something, do you, do you notice something strange about his actions here? You notice, what does what what's John tell us here? He says he put on his outer garment. Why would you do that? You drown. <laughs> okay, it's a good question, right? Normally, right, when people decide to go swimming, they take stuff off, yeah. Right? That, that's normally what you do, right? Uh, you don't put them on, you know. It, it, you know that's that's normally right. Uh, again, they, these these folks didn't have modern bathing suits like us or whatever, right? They would probably 
get down to some underclothes and, and make, that's what you would think, right? That's, they would take stuff off. And actually, well, he, he tells us he put on his outer garment. Actually, the, the Greek here, and, and Dr. Sproul points out, and the other commentators all agree, the Greek here indicates that Peter was maybe even naked. Okay? Or very close to, if he wasn't. So that, that's the situation. So when, he, when the light bulb goes on and John says, hey, it's the Lord. He decides he's going to jump in the water. He's going to go see Jesus. But what does he do first? He puts his clothes back on. Hmm. Well, remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve had sinned, what happened? They were naked in the garden, right? They didn't, they didn't have clothes, right? And what happened when God came to the garden and was going to walk with him like he does? He did every day, right? He came and walked in the cool of the afternoon. And when they heard his voice, what, what did they try to do? They tried to hide, right? Because of their, now they're experiencing shame. Right? We've already talked about the shame of nakedness. We've, we've talked about that, right? It's, it is. We, we've talked about it in, in the way he was crucified. We've talked about all these things, right? It's a, it's this, that's, that's a reality in a fallen world. So Adam and Eve did what? They tried to cover themselves, right? They, they were ashamed. That didn't go away, right? That's, that's a result of the fall. It's still here in this time, and it's still here now, right? And so... So Peter, again, Peter's maybe completely naked, maybe not. We're not 100% sure, right? But maybe close. But, but he knows, I'm about to go see Jesus. I'm about to go see Jesus face to face. Now, and it's the same one that I have denied and I have betrayed. And so he covers himself before he jumps in the water. He covers himself. He puts his outer garment back on he jumps in the water. Now, we said earlier that these two encounters, there's some similarities, but there's also differences, right? Um, here, in this encounter, here um, in John 21, the fact that Jesus wanted to go see Jesus shows us a major difference than the encounter in Luke 5. In Luke 5, the one we, that Luke tells about in 5, um, that time, they did, as Jesus said, they caught so many fish that the boat almost sank, if you remember. And when Peter saw how many fish he had caught, he had a very strange response. And over in Luke 5, 8, it says he looked at Jesus and said this. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That's in Luke 5. Okay, so much earlier in the ministry, right? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Dr. Sproul said this, this response, again, referring to the one in Luke 5, not, not now, the one earlier in the ministry, says this, by the way, is the universal response of people when they recognize the character of Jesus. Right? And they recognize Jesus for who He is. This is the universal response. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. I am not worthy to be in your presence because of who you are and who I am. I am sinful and you are not. 
Our basic nature uh, would, would be to, to, to put as much space between Him and us as possible. Right? That would be uh, a basic nature, a basic response. When Peter, again, referring to the, the Luke 5 uh, account, when Peter realized who he was dealing with, he was overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed by a sense of guilt. And he didn't, he wasn't even worthy to be in his presence. And so he basically said again, Luke 5, please leave. I can't stand, I can't stand it. Please leave, depart from me, leave here. I cannot stand to be in your presence because I am sinful. Well, that was then, right? And this is now. A lot's happened, right? Would you not agree? A lot has happened, right? In the lives of the disciples and in Jesus's ministry. This time, even though he still had a lot to be ashamed of, didn't he? Right? He still has something to be ashamed of. His denial, his betrayal. But instead of, instead of putting distance between himself and Jesus, he dove straight into water and he swam as fast as he could. He, he was not, it was such a, I would, get, I would call it impulse decision. Just jump in and go. I'm not even going to wait on the boat. I'm not even going to wait for y'all to, to row this boat in here. I don't even know if you can row it in for as many fish as we got. I don't know how long it's going to take. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm not, forget it. I'm out. I'm in the water. I'm going to see Jesus. John continues in verses 89. He says, But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, which I said is about 100 yards. And they were dragging the net with the fish. I couldn't even get the fish in the boat. They're dragging the net behind the boat, right, or alongside or whatever, right? And it says, as soon as they came to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on and bread. So again, the, Peter's jumped in. He's gone. He's swimming. The others don't know how long it took them to get uh, into shore, uh, in the boat, dragging the net, all these fish. It says, when they get there, what do they see? They see a fire of coals. Jesus has got a fire going, right? Is it, and and it, it's an odd detail that that John uh, gives us. Why, why does John mention this? <coughs> well, in Doctor Spoiled Bed, it says there may be no significance at all. Okay, but but remember, this part of the narrative is focused on who? Peter, right? It's focused on. Peter. There's only, there's only two times in the Gospel of John when a fire of coals is mentioned. It's mentioned here in 21, and where is the other place? Betrayal. On the night he was betrayed. Right? 18, 18. That night, there was also a fire of coals, wasn't there? But who, who was tending it that night? You remember? The servant girl. She was tending the fire of coals, right? This time... Jesus is tending the fire. Then it says, um, John says, as soon as they came to land, they saw five coals here and fish laid on it and bread. Now wait a minute. Where'd the fish come from? They, they just got there. So they, it's not their fish. Right? There's bread also there. Had, did, uh, did Jesus get up and go fishing earlier that morning? Right? Did he, did he bring bread with him? 
beforehand? Or was this, this is the resurrected Lord. Now, even before His resurrection, what is what has He demonstrated that He could do with fishes and bread? Right? He's already demonstrated this is not a problem for me. I can take a very little and I can multiply it and feed whoever I want to feed. Right? It's not a problem for Him. So, what happened? We don't know, right? John doesn't tell us, right? Is it possible that Jesus went fishing? Yeah, it's possible. Is it possible that He's the creator of the universe and He can do what He wants? Yeah, it's very possible, right? But we see Jesus here. He's, he's cooking breakfast. I, I, this is one of my favorite. I just, I love the imagery. I just, I love this piece of, of Scripture. It just, I, I just, I just do. I, I don't know why I like it so much. I just, you see a man, the savior of the world, the creator of the universe, and he's cooking breakfast for his disciples on the seashore. I just, I just love this. So, so we don't know, but God can do it because He's God. Verses, verses ten and eleven. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish which you have just caught." Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net to land, full of large fish, one hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. So Peter, at this point, he's already there, we can assume. And the boat gets there after him. And and so Jesus said, do what? He says, hey, bring some of the fish. So Peter goes right. He drags the net up onto land all by himself, is what, according to the account here. It's almost, R.C. said, it's almost like his attitude was this. uh, Lord, whatever you say. Whatever, Whatever you say, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever. No questions asked. Whatever you say, I'll do. <clears throat> John adds another odd detail here, right? He says there were 153 fish in the net. Hmm. Okay, so several theories here, right, about why John mentions the specific number here. Uh, one one theory, one one person. These are smart people, much smarter than me. And I said, uh, well, at that time there were 153 different known species of fish, and so John was making the point that the disciples would be fishers of men, that they would that they would be catching men from all tribes and all nations. And it sounds okay. Problem with that is the the person quoted that said there was 153 fish. It was actually 157 known species. So the didn't nice theory sounds good. That there's no connection there. Another another scholar says tries to make a connection uh, to an obscure reference uh, references in the Old Testament. One such as the image of the river of life in Ezekiel 47 where he mentioned um, a multitude of fish, and that's in verse 9. Again, really a stretch. Really, really really a stretch. Another view was that the seven, we have seven here, right? That they wanted to divide the fish evenly between themselves. However, 153 is not evenly divisible by seven. Still one more view. Still one more view. 
was that they counted the fish uh, because it was a record-breaking catch, and they wanted to know how many it was. Now, that sounds like something where I would do. Yeah. <laughs> right? I catch a large bass. I'm going to weigh it because why? Hey, it's a record-breaking catch. This sounds like something that Matthew and Wes would do. Right? This is what they would do. Ah, this is record-breaking. We're going we're gonna to post it on the Facebook book. We're going to have the best catch in there, whatever, and and. and and this is, I'm going to tell everybody this is what's going on. So this is would be me. I would do something like this, right? I wonder what the average catch was without breaking the net. I don't know. Probably a lot lower. I don't know. <clears throat> what, um, <coughs> the, uh, Calvin said, he, he commented about this. Com, uh, Calvin commented, says, As to the number of fishes, we ought not to look for any deep mystery in it. Okay. Remember we said this earlier, the Bible is not a code book, right? There's no something you have to, there's no secret code to unlock it and learn new revelation. That, that, that's not the way it works, right? So there's, no, there's no reason to look, this is Calvin, no reason to look for any mystery in it. He says, Augustine enters into some ingenious reasonings about the statement of the number and says that it denotes the law and the gospel. He says, but if we, met, if we examine the matter carefully, we shall find this is a childish trifling. Stop wasting your time trying to figure this out, right? MacArthur's study Bible added that, that John's recording of the precise number just reinforces the fact that he was an eyewitness of these events. And that's, that's reasonable, right? That would be reasonable, I think. He's an eyewitness of these events. In, in the end, okay, in the end, we can't be sure if the number was significant or not. Then John writes, verses 12 and 13, he says, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Uh, Dr. Sproul added, this was a poignant moment. Um, as Jesus invited them to eat breakfast with him after a night of labor. I can just imagine that. I, that would just be... I don't know. What an amazing event. I think this would just, I, I don't know. I can just, that would have been great to be there. But, 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 so, so he invites them to eat. He gave them the bread. He gave them the fish to eat. And of course here, Jesus, um, his action is demonstrating a lot of things, right? He's providing for them, but he's also, he's providing the fish. Uh, he's providing them something to eat. And it's a demonstration, it's an action, right? That Jesus is about to leave. He's about to leave the disciples. But his, his actions are indicating he's, he's going to provide for their needs. I will be providing for your needs. Here today, you've been fishing all night. You're probably tired and hungry. I'm going to feed you breakfast. But it's not going to stop here. I'm not going to, we don't stop here. The fact that, that Jesus is going to provide for their needs, it will be an ongoing for the rest of their lives. And they know that. It's demonstrated. Jesus is demonstrating it right here. This was... This was the same Jesus who had washed their feet in the upper room. This is, the, this is the same Jesus who had taken their place and our place on the cross. This is the same Jesus who had assumed all of their sin and taken the judgment and the wrath of God on your behalf and my behalf and their behalf. It's the same man. And here we see Jesus is still serving them. He's still serving them. He's providing for their daily needs right here on the side of the sea. 
Hmm. You know, when you think about the the um, when the disciples recognize him, right? They're in the boat. He's a hundred He's a hundred yards away. John recognizes him first. Peter jumped in and swam after him, right? Uh, the others brought in the boat in the net, right? Three different reactions, right? Are, are any one of the three any less significant, I guess, in terms, and we're trying to think in terms of application here for a minute. Is one disciple better than the other? Well, you, oh, well, John, he, he recognized him first. Oh, he, he's the good disciple. Well, wait a minute, but, but Peter, man, he jumped right in and swam, like left everything and went. Oh, he's the one that, the best disciple, or the one that loves Jesus the most. Well, what about the others? They just swam, they just rang in the boat. They didn't, they didn't really care to even see Jesus. Now, is that, is, there, is that wise to even think about that? It's not. It's not. What is, what is some application for us? All, all, if you look at those three categories, you look at John, you look at the P, look at the rest of them, they're all serving the Lord. Right? They're serving the Lord in different ways. Right? Among those called to serve God, God has gifted them with different abilities, skills, talents, spiritual gifts, right? Bible tells us, right? Some are called to be teachers. Some are called to be preachers. Some are called to be uh, have the gifts of help. Some have different. They have all these different pieces, right? Is any one any more valuable than the other? No, it's not. Right? You don't. You can't look at a at a pastor who's called to preach. Well, he's a he's a super Christian, right? He's his gift is more important than some other gifts. Now, it's an important gift, right? But is it any more important? It's it's a. It, they're all gifts, right? They're all gifts given to God's. We say here disciples, right? We're also disciples, learners, right? And all of our gifts are important. All of them are important. There's no reason to look at this and say, well, one's better than the other. John, he was better for this. and Pete. No, there's no reason to do that. They were all serving the Lord. They were all serving the Lord how they knew how to do it, right? Which is a good application for us. We serve him and now he's gifted us to serve, right? That's what we do. And we're being productive as we're waiting on the Lord, right? As it, maybe you're in a period of, of waiting on something. Um, hey, God's gifted you. He's called you to himself. You've been given a spiritual gift. Every believer has at least one. Why, do you give the, why are you giving the gifts? Is it for your own benefit? No, it's for the benefit of the kingdom, right? It's to be used in the kingdom. So to be productive using your gifts. We'll end here with a quote from, from Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said, um, and there is nothing lost by observing Christ's orders. There's nothing lost. You will never regret obeying Christ. Okay? You will never lose anything by obeying Christ. There's nothing lost by observing Christ's orders. It is the casting of the net on the right side of the ship. To them, made absolutely no sense, but they obeyed. They did it, and you see what happened. Jesus manifests himself to his people by doing that for them, which none else can do, and the things which they looked not for. Jesus, he, he, he can do for us, He does for, uh, for us, for you and me, what no one else can do. But what does He say? They all, he also does things that we're not looking for. Right? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. Father, bless this time. I uh, pray that you will um, add to it as only you can do. And uh, Father, as we leave now our time of study, Father, as we go into worship, Father, thank you for the opportunity to set aside in the week. Uh, Father, that we can gather together uh, with saints here in Lebanon, Father, but saints around Fairfield County and the state and, Father, the entire world, even the saints in the throne room of God. Father, as we gather together to worship the thrice holy God, Father, we pray that our worship today will be acceptable uh, before you and be. Father, continue to be with our pastor and use him in a mighty way for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.